You're listening to the audio ministries of First Baptist Church of Troy, Texas. You're invited to join us for live and in-person morning worship every Sunday morning at 1045 a.m. Visit fbctroytx.org for a list of our activity times and family-centered community ministries. Now here's today's message. So we're going to continue on in our series of Christ in the Old Testament. And we're going to be looking at the Old Testament book of Job. Or as I had, there's one old preacher, and I, Lord bless him, every time he'd get up, he'd want to talk about Job. So if you want to call it Job or Job, it doesn't matter. Uh, but we're going to be looking at Job. And uh, as we look at Job, as you think about it, and you start looking at you, and at first glance, you go, now, wait a minute, where in the world is Jesus in this book? And uh, that is what you're going to think if you rush through the book of Job. You're going to think, now wait a minute, where is Jesus? Where is Christ in all of this? But if you'll slow down, and if you'll intentionally look for Jesus, I'm going to tell you, you're going to find Jesus on every page of this book. You're going to find Jesus on every page. Job is an imprint of Jesus and what our Lord and Savior went through for us. And uh, when you look at Jesus, you find all kinds of similarities with Job's experience. When you start comparing them, and folks, it's just right down the line. It is something else. And so we're going to be looking at that. And the first thing that we're going to be looking at is that, that Job being an imprint of Christ, Job is an imprint of righteousness. Job is an imprint of of righteousness. In Job 1.8, we read this, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. Now, regretfully, probably most English translations, uh, they, they have that word in there. That word is what? Perfect. And uh, it has that in there. Mine does too, as I see up there on the screen. And when we think of perfect, we think of sinless. So we think, well, Job was a sinless man. No, Job was anything but sinless. Because we know this, because remember, we are told, the Apostle Paul tells us, for all have sin. So everyone is sin. That includes this guy called Job. Job was not sinless. The Hebrew literally says that Job was blameless and upright. In other words, he was a person who walked the walk of honesty and integrity. That's what he did. It does not say he was sinless, but literally he shunned evil. He shuns evil. And as any follower of God should desire, Job wanted nothing to do with anything evil. Now, I hope that can be said of all of us in this place also. We don't want to have anything to do with evil, but does that mean we're sinless? No, because ever so often we trip into it, right? We get into it. And... Uh, so Job does everything he can to avoid sin because of his reverence for God. And, and remember, an imprint is not the real thing. It can have flaws. 
but it reminds us of what it is an imprint of. And Job is an imprint of the righteousness of Christ. Scripture tells us of Jesus. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through him. And then uh, Hebrews tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, but yet he was without what? Sin. Jesus was without sin. And then in 1 John it says, You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Jesus is the epitome of righteousness because he is sinless and he is sinless because he is God Jesus is God God is sinless but Job was an imprint of the righteousness of Jesus if there was ever anybody who was really a good guy who walked the walk that he should walk ever so often he'd fall into sin but he wanted to stay away from it that was his heart it was Job and so Job is that imprint of the righteousness of Jesus that, that we see in the Old Testament. We also find out that uh, Job is also an imprint of suffering. He's an imprint of suffering. As you read the story of Job, you see that he's not only the person with the most integrity on earth, right? But he also suffers the most of anyone on earth. This man suffered. And, and uh, those of you, if you have not read, and you know, we, we don't read through the whole book, I'm encouraging you to read through the book of Job. And as you, as you read through the book of Job, as, it really, as it, Job just starts out, we find Satan standing in front of God. Now what he's doing there, I haven't a clue, but he's there in front of God. And God, God points to Job down there on earth and, and, uh, and, and, and says, Hey, <laughs> have you considered my man? Job down there. Look how good he is, man. He wants to live a good life. He is doing the best, man. Look at him. And, and, and Satan tells him, well, the only reason, only reason he's faithful to you is because you're blessing him with everything. Well, I'd be faithful to you too. Now, he doesn't say that, but you know, that's the idea there. If you just bless me, anybody would be faithful to you if you just bless them in that. And so God allows Satan to go after Job to prove that Job is faithful. Very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. So Satan goes after Job to cause Job to curse God. And in the process, Job loses all of his material possessions. He goes from being the richest man on earth to the poorest man on earth. He loses everything. Absolutely everything. And not only that, all of his sons and his daughters die when a roof collapses on them in a windstorm. So he loses his family. And the only one he's got left is his wife who nags him. Say, you need to just curse God. You just need to curse God. You just need to curse God. I mean, Satan was using her unbeknownst to her. Loses it all. But his faith remains strong. Satan ends up back up in front of God. 
Hey, Satan, have you considered my man Job down there? He's remaining faithful. And Satan basically says, well, if someone suffers and thinks he's going to die, then he's going to curse you. I know how to make him curse you, God. I know how to keep him from being faithful. Is that I'm going, if he thinks he's going to die, he's going to curse you then. And God's response to that is, very well, the Lord told Satan, he's in your power. Only spare his life. The only thing you cannot do to him is kill him. You can do anything else. And so as you read in Job, what happens then is Satan infects Job with these terrible boils uh, from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. And in order to get relief, what Job has to do is get broken pottery and just scrape those boils. Just scrape them. They're so painful. Job suffered so much. And yet in all that happened to him, Job remains faithful to God and refuses to turn on God. He suffered more than any man ever suffered on this earth until one called Jesus. And as I, as I read about Job, I cannot help but think of Jesus on the cross and the agony that Jesus went through for us. It was through the cross that Satan tried to destroy Jesus. And the only way that Satan could have come against Jesus was if, now guys get this, the only way Satan could come against Jesus was if he had been given permission to do so. Because nobody does anything without the permission of God or the allowance of God. Scripture doesn't say this. So don't go out and say, Harlan said the Bible says, okay? Uh-uh, that's liar, liar, pants on fire. I did not say that. Scripture doesn't say that. But in my mind, I can almost hear God the Father saying to Satan, have you considered my son Jesus? There is no one like him. And Satan says, hey, <laughs> I can make him sin. I can have him turn on you. And I can just hear God saying, very well, I'll send him to earth. I'll send him to earth as an infant to live as a man and everything he owns, including his very life, is in your power. We know Satan tried to kill Christ just right after he was born, right? He used Herod uh, to murder boys under two years of age after Jesus was born. That was Satan trying to come after him. We know that Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness and, and then Satan uses the religious leaders to persecute him and to have him beaten and, and, to, and he had him suffer death through crucifixion. Through all the temptations, through all the sufferings that Jesus went through, he remained faithful to the Father. Even on his last night here on earth, uh, as, as the date with the cross was approaching, I mean, it was upon him. He was in the garden praying to the Father, and Jesus remained faithful to the Father. Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus said, I don't care. I don't want to. Man, this is going to hurt. I don't really want to go through this. But God, if it's your will, Father, if it's your will, Father, if this is the best, then I want to do it. And what made Jesus' suffering so much worse than Job's 
or anyone else's is the fact that first he was sinless. Job had sinned. I mean, Job, Job, there was sin in Job's life, without a doubt. But Jesus was sinless. He didn't deserve to die. And second, he suffered for the sins of all humanity. 1 Peter 3.18. Whoops. Let me see if I've got it here. Well, let me see. Did I not put that one in? I don't think I did. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Again, let me read that again. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. All. You know who all is? It's everybody. It's all. That's you. That's me. That's everybody. The righteous for the unrighteous. The sinless for the sinner. Job did nothing wrong to deserve his sufferings. He really didn't. When you read it, he didn't do anything. In fact, he never figures out why this happened. And neither did Christ deserve it. Christ knew why it was happening, though. He volunteered for it. But he was a blameless sacrifice. But the difference is, in the suffering, is Job was just suffering Job. Job's suffering. Okay? He was just suffering his own. His own personal suffering. That's what he was suffering. Jesus' suffering was for you and for me and for everyone. The eternal... The eternal sufferings of hell that is deserved by every individual person was placed upon Jesus at the cross. The hell you deserve was put upon Jesus. The suffering that you should be going through in hell was placed upon Jesus at the cross. That same suffering that I should be suffering in hell was placed upon Jesus at the cross. The suffering for all mankind that, that they should be suffering in hell was placed upon Jesus at the cross. For every individual, He took their suffering of their hell. He suffered more than any man has ever suffered before or since. Job was an imprint of the suffering of Jesus. Third, we see him being an imprint of being forsaken. We see him being an imprint of being forsaken. Job in his suffering, as you read through Job, he is, he is forsaken by his friends. Uh, I'm not going to show you all the Scripture because it's basically chapters 4 through 23. That's a lot of, lot of forsaking by his friends. I mean, they're just constantly forsaking him and, and coming against him. And you'll see that instead of comforting him, as friends ought to do, they abandon him by saying he's the cause of all the suffering. He wasn't. But they're blaming him for it. With everything he's going through, they just pile on him more. It's you. You know you did it, Job. You know it's something you did. Just repent. What was it? I don't know. Oh, you got to know. Don't you hate it when people go, you know what you did wrong, and you don't, and you go, but I don't know. Oh, yes, you do. I mean, you know, you go, huh? I mean, that was Job. With everything he's going through, they just piled on more and more and more. But was not Jesus also forsaken by his friends when the going got tough, right? 
when they came to arrest him, what happened? <laughs> then they all deserted him and ran away. Scared, scared, scared. In fact, one of them became the first streaker, right? They grabbed hold of his coat and he just shot out of there. As grandma would say, naked. I wish she'd say naked is what she'd do. I mean, there he was. And with all the suffering, think of this, with all the suffering and all the loss that Job was going through, not only did his friends forsake him, but he asked this question also. He asked God why God had forsaken him. Listen to what he says to God. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Basically, he's saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of reminds me of a question of one of whom Job is an imprint of. At the height of his suffering, at the height of the suffering of his crucifixion, remember Jesus asked God the Father why he has forsaken him. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthini, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Folks, for the only time in all of eternity, eternity past, eternity future, Jesus did not know the fullness of the love of the Father. Think about this. But instead, he experienced the fullness of the Father's wrath for your sins and for my sins. That's why he's saying that. Job was an imprint of God the Father of God forsaking Jesus. Of God the Father forsaking God the Son. Job was also an imprint of disfigurement. An imprint of disfigurement. Because of everything that Job went through, uh, the boils were destroying his body. In fact, he was so disfigured that his friends almost didn't recognize him. When they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. I mean, he just, he looked awful. All those boils and just the blood and the pus and everything and the pain that was coming down. Barely recognizable. Disfigured. We're told that Jesus, before he was led to the cross was beat to the point where he himself was unrecognizable. Then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, Prophesy! And the temple police also took him and slapped him. They're beating him there. Then willing uh, to gratify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. After having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. In Roman days, the flogging was done with a whip of leather, and at the end of that, that, uh, that leather that they hit you with, there were, those were strips, uh, they were embedded with bone and, and metal, so that whenever they hit your, your skin, and they ripped, it literally just rip your skin apart. It would just make you hamburger, if you will. 
And then we're told, they dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on him. And they kept hitting him on the head with a reed and spitting on him. And in the book of Isaiah that we'll look at down the line, we're told this. His appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. And his form did not resemble a human being. So badly disfigured was Jesus because the beatings that he took for you and he took for me, he was not recognizable. Job was an imprint of the disfigurement of Jesus. And then Job is an imprint of intercession, of intercession. Job intercedes for his friends. Now remember, his friends have been piling on him. His friends have been coming after him, saying, you're doing something, you're doing what's, what you did was wrong. Just admit it. Just admit that there's something in your life that should not be there. That's why all this trouble's coming upon you. And they kept piling on him. And finally, God says, enough. That's it. You've gone through enough. And God tells Job that if he'll intercede for his friends, God's angry with his friends, the way they treated him. If you'll intercede for them, then I'll forgive them because I want to destroy them right now. And as soon as Job interceded for his friends who who had been accusing him of of all the wrong, of doing wrong, and, and, uh, and they've been encouraging him to walk away from God, we find that God, as soon as he intercedes, God lifts him up and restores him. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now take seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you. I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves. For you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his prosperity and doubled his previous possessions. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. By Job intervening for his friends, he turned the wrath of God away from them. Now, think about that. Just think on it for just a little bit. Job intervening for his friends, he turned the wrath of God away from them. Job, in effect, became his friend's Savior. Y'all got that? Jesus was lifted up to be our intercessor. Therefore, He is always able to save those who come to God through Him since He always lives to intercede for them. Jesus' interceding for us 
turns the wrath of God away from the believer. And through interceding for us, Jesus is lifted up as the believer's Savior. Job is an imprint of Jesus' intercession for the believer. A lot of good stuff in the book of Job. And as we close out Job, I want to finish with this final thought. There we go. Job and Jesus are both cornerstones. They're both cornerstones, folks. Most Christians don't realize this, but Job was the first book of the Bible written. It wasn't Genesis. Job was the first book of the Bible that was put into print, that was written down. It was written before Genesis. And it was passed down orally before then. Job actually predates Abraham and possibly even predates Noah. The book of Job is actually the cornerstone of the collection we call Scripture, the Bible. Job, the cornerstone of Scripture. Again, it's kind of an imprint of one who is the cornerstone of the church. And his name is Jesus. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. In placing the book of Job's story as the cornerstone of Scripture, the Holy Spirit put in place a foundation stone that is pointing ahead to the cross of Christ. The first book ever is a first scripture ever job points to jesus to the cross job was the first signpost of scripture pointing to the cross job had to endure horrendous sufferings in order to qualify as the cornerstone of scripture and jesus had to endure an agonizing death in order to qualify as the cornerstone of the church I also see Jesus in the book of Job. When, when Job said this to God, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Now we know that Scripture tells us that no one can see God and live. And in, and in referring to to God the Father, the Apostle John said, said this, no one has ever seen God. So, either John wrote a lie or no one has ever seen God, but Job says, wait a minute, I've heard about you, but now I have seen you with my own eyeballs. So what in the world is he saying? Folks, it's this. It seems fairly certain that when Job saw God, he actually saw the pre-incarnate Christ. He saw Jesus. It was Jesus Christ Himself who interrogated and exonerated Job in Job in, the, in chapters 38 through 42. Read it. Just read there and just listen to the voice of Jesus in those. So Christ's presence in the book 
Folks, it's clear. It's undeniable. And yet, regretfully, too many believers think that the New Testament and the cross have rendered the book of Job obsolete and it's no longer relevant for our lives. Well, there's a Greek word for that, and that is hogwash. Yeah, again, that ain't Greek, but you know what I mean. I mean, I will say to the contrary, the cross confirmed the glory of Job's story. And it emphasizes its relevance for New Testament believers. So I want to encourage you, read this wonderful book. It's a great book. And as you read the book of Job, I hope you will be able to see more and more and more of Jesus in it. Because all you have to do is look for Him. He is on every page. Job is truly an imprint of Christ. Let me ask you to bow your heads in prayer. Through the book of Job, as an imprint of Christ, we get a picture of what Jesus went through for us. We've talked about it a little bit. The pain, the suffering. He took your hell upon His shoulders. He suffered your hell so you would not have to. But here's the deal. You either have to accept the fact, accept Him and accept that suffering He took for you, or you say, I don't want to accept you and I want to suffer it myself. Now folks, that ain't smart. I'm just going to be honest with you. To say, no, I'm going to suffer for my sins and not accept what Jesus did for you. All you have to do, all you have to do is ask Jesus to become your Lord and Savior. Just pray a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, today I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm accepting what you did on the cross for me. Taking my pain, my agony, my hell upon you so I would not have to suffer it. And today, I'm making you my Lord and Savior. Today, I want to follow you forever. Today, to the best of my ability, I'm going to live for you forever. And I'm trusting in you for my eternity. Now again, there's no magic in the word, so if you miss something, that's okay. It's whether or not you really mean it. Do you mean it? You see, Jesus doesn't want you to suffer the agonies of hell. That's why I died on the cross for you. If you'd been the only person, he would have died for you. He took your hell so you don't have to, but the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Why not accept what he did on the cross for you so you don't have to pay the price? During our invitation time, we, uh, this invitation is for you. Step out into the aisle and just come forward and say, Preacher, man, I prayed that prayer. We won't celebrate with you. Or maybe you've got questions. Man, just come out. Preacher, i got a couple of questions. Man, I won't talk with you. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer. But you know, maybe you're not walking the walk of a believer. Today, maybe you need to recommit your life to the Lord. You may be here today and you need a church home. We'd invite you to come if, 
and, and, and join and be a part of this church if the Lord leads. This invitation is also for you. All I know is this, is that the Holy Spirit is talking to folks. And it may be you. He's asking you to do something. Will you do it for Him? Don't walk away. You may never have another chance. Please do it for Him. Father God, Lord, I just uh, ask that Your Holy Spirit would just move in this place. That our, our hearts would be receptive of what He has to say. And that, Father, we would say yes to Him. Lord, I pray for those who here in this congregation and maybe those who are watching us on live stream who've never accepted Jesus, that, Father, today they would realize what He did for them by dying on the cross so that they don't have to suffer the agonies of hell. Lord, I pray they would say yes to Him. Lord, I lift up believers, Lord, who have, Lord, they've let their eyes wander away from You. And they start looking at the things of the world. They start being influenced by the things of the world instead of being influenced by you. Father, today, may they turn their eyes and path back to you so that they can bring glory to you. Lord, if there's anyone here, Lord, that, Father, this is the place you would have them to be, to worship you, to be a part of reaching a community, a state, and literally the world for you. Father, we just pray they come. Holy Spirit, this is your invitation to us to do what you have called us to do. Again, Father, may our answer be yes. For it's in Christ's precious, precious name I pray. Amen. We'd like to personally thank you for taking the time out of your day to hear our latest message. Do us a favor and send an email to outreach at fbctroytx.org to let us know that you heard us and what you thought of the message. Remember to visit fbctroytx.org to learn more about how we support our local community. Again, thank you for listening.